Hey everyone, and welcome to the Health Stories podcast by SPAN. I'm Patrick, the CEO and co-founder of the company, and um, in this series, we want to explore the intersection of uh, health span and lifespan through community stories and conversations with doctors and nutritionists. For this first episode, I wanted to introduce you to my amazing team. So with me, I have Rachel, our nutritionist, a trained chef and cancer survivor, and Adam, our medical officer, medical doctor with the NHS who worked with thousands of diabetic uh, patients. So thanks for coming on this uh, no, bank thank holiday. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's... How are you guys doing? Yeah, good. Yeah, good. Sun is shining. Can't it's complain. a sunny day, yeah. <laughs> so I guess something we haven't done like as a team, which is a good team building exercise at the same time, is figure out what led us to this place right now. Mm. Yeah. I figured like the easiest way is probably to start at the beginning. So when we were kids... Yeah, too. What led you guys to work in healthcare? And that's obviously a good segue into telling your story and yeah. explaining how you got there. But, uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, for me, um, I think I went into medicine without really having any plan. I just yeah. kind of got into medical school. I liked biology as a kid. But then um, the only thing that interested me in, uh, in medical school was um, aging, understanding aging. Oh, yeah. Right away from the. So that was the only thing that I could, uh, that I didn't feel um, burdened by studying. Okay. So the, everything else was just a chore. You know? Yeah. So, uh, but it took me a while to realize that 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 maybe that's why I went into medicine. Maybe yeah. uh, that's the, the only interest in medicine I have. Um, everything else was just a chore. Was just. Um, you know, things to do to get me to, you know, to pass the next semester. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever, like, thought about why? And Because um, obviously longevity is quite different and it's less about solving yeah. the problems. It's also, like, a big challenge compared to to what you study. And I yeah. guess, yeah. It's, it's, it's totally different and it's probably... Um, yeah, as you said, it's like more of an engineering problem than like yeah. uh, um, like related to medicine, or at least how medicine is now. But um, I don't know, maybe there's some kind of philosophical argument that you can make that I, I've always been afraid of death and uh, it kind of like, <laughs> maybe there is some, uh, yeah. some mm-hmm. of that, yeah. But it's, yeah, it's obviously something that we're all not concerned about, but we think and it's not something that's like often mentioned in the media or like uh, social media, just between friends and people yeah. you may know. Uh, so talking about death, that implies it's like it's a very personal thing. And mm. yeah. but the way it affects your decisions is definitely big. It's, it has a big impact on your your life. I mean, I don't know, Rachel. You probably have more insight on this than I do. Yeah. Right? What do you think? In in a sense of what? Yeah, like, um, you know, facing death and thinking about it. And actually... Yeah, it's kind of funny you actually ask that because I, for me, I'm the kind of person where I don't, um, I don't kind of see myself as a, I don't see myself as an older person, so I don't kind of project, but that's not yeah. saying that I feel like I'm going to die young, and I know this is kind of a funny thing, okay. but I think it's, for me, it's like, 
um, you know, just kind of letting life happen and not kind of fear, I guess, yeah, fearing death. Like, that's something, an interesting thing you said. Cause but how did you come me, to that? Or, or I didn't have ever... Fear, uh, yeah, I don't think I've ever feared death because I guess maybe from a young age, even though I was very good at not thinking that, you yeah. know, death is a possibility, I guess maybe in the back of my mind it was always something that it could, you know, it could happen. Yeah. That's the um, opposite for me. Like for me, yeah. I've always had like um, death yeah, <laughs> as like really... something lurking in <laughs> Yeah. For some reason, I, I, I haven't been exposed to like that much death in my family yeah. or anything like that. It was just... Uh, something that I've always been obsessed with for some reason, philosophically and psychically. Yes. <laughs> and it's funny because people, you're so right, people don't talk about it until, like, not even, even until yeah. the last moments of someone dying and, like, yeah. people don't want to even discuss, you know, their funeral or anything like this. It's just a really, yeah. um, to, not to boot thing, but, like, people don't want to. Yeah. You're right, it's personal. But it's still like in in some disciplines like philosophy, it's something that mm. people go often into, and that's the one thing that they try to explain, and that ties to how you should live your life. And obviously, then yeah, there's also this notion yeah. of or like this whole idea of how death is like just the one event that happens at the end of your life, but yeah. it's actually a process. Like it's actually a long process of aging, mm. and decaying, yeah. and, and eventually dying. Yeah. And that's, I think, where, like, uh, your health span is yeah. a better kind of um, uh, target than your lifespan. Yeah. And, yeah, I totally agree. And I think that's the one thing that's fascinating about studying longevity and looking at, obviously, first uh, health span and chronic condition and how that may affect it. And then actually go into proper aging and how yeah. you can solve that. That's fascinating. So I guess, like, for you, uh, how did you get into your health? Was it linked to your condition at all? Um, It was a mixture of, like, so I grew up on um, a farm. So I was always connected with, like, food and home-cooked food and things like that. So I got into, like, cooking from a really young age. Um, And then, I guess, when I got sick, I was 10. Um, And... During my illness, I probably cooked more as well and because it's finding things that you want to eat and it was, you know, you're away from school but you want to do things, so I was yeah. cooking a lot more. But I think then as I got older, it was it was kind of um, trying to find a reason for uh, why I got ill and trying to improve my health through nutrition. So I definitely think um, combining my passion for food from being on a farm and then also getting ill definitely brought me to studying nutrition yeah um yeah and probably also pushing you in a like within nutrition in a specific direction yeah yeah i mean well it was not until i um relapsed the last time which was like three three years ago now that's when I really started to explore and it was um you know in lectures or whatever in university they'd introduce these ideas of low carbohydrate diets being beneficial but it wasn't until afterwards when I 
was now faced with something that I really started to explore it. And, yeah. um, and it's not really spoken about very much actually in university. In school, yeah. 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 Um, I often so, hear something like in medical school, they say you have like one module, which is a couple of hours. Even less than that. And it's yeah. not even a module that is taking that seriously. It's like yeah. you have, um, you know, a few modules uh, that talk about like um, lifestyle changes or yeah. um, nutrition, but they're kind of like adjuncts and people just, you know, you do your the minimum effort just to go through those modules because yeah. you're too focused on the hard stuff. You know? <laughs> so yeah. I think by the end of medical school, no one even remembers yeah. Yeah. these things. Yeah. Um, so what was your first encounter like where you with ketogenics low carb like how that ties into aging and the first moment in your life when was that and how did that happen like did you well, start looking into it right away or I think for me it was uh, through like um, learning about aging and through learning about the genetic pathway specifically the IGF um, Yep. pathways, insulin pathways, um, where I started looking at uh, trials that um, were trying to activate these pathways, um, and most of the trials were like low-carb, high-fat, um, or severe calorie restriction. Um, and then I got um, introduced to yeah, a ketogenic or low-carb diet. Um, yeah, I think that's how I, I got introduced to it. Makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Uh, for me, I remember one lecturer. He was great, and he just came, and he he was then it was a cardiovascular um, uh, lecture, and he was saying about um, low carb, uh, higher carbohydrate carbohydrate diets actually being, um, you know, possibly the cause for uh, the use of statins, and and actually. You know, high fat diets aren't yeah. um, to be blamed at all, and this turned everything on its head for me. And like, because that yeah. up until that point, like, that's not what we were told, so that totally changed yeah. things. Yeah, up until and that then, point, you think of yeah, we we just thought of like, well, for me at least, it was mostly thinking about uh, your food intake as a number of calories that you yeah. have to hit every day, and, and it doesn't really saturated matter. Fat, like, yeah. and this was my last year that we that this then came up. So I had spent so long, and then it was when, um, and then you know when I uh, got diagnosed again. That's when I really delved into it and researched and yeah. and um, yeah. Yeah, that's so fascinating then. because we've all been told the same thing. Yeah, and I think like I don't know why, but it sounds like it's a time where people start to care a bit more about their health outside yeah. of their, what the do the doctor is saying because they know some of the other things that are not yeah. considered as medical, like nutrition, yeah. can have an impact. So they're just, they're curious, they want to experiment. Yes. Yeah. Obviously yeah. a concern around, should you eat organic, should you eat normal food? Yeah. So that's like kind of pushing people to kind of learn a bit more and maybe that's how it gets into the deep core science of local. I still don't well. understand why it's uh, such a, you know, contentious kind of topic. I, there's something about food, there's something about food that makes us like, that makes us really tribal, I think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. I think it's, yeah, definitely like a 
I think something linked to evolution and yeah, I mean you see like different religions that have different dietary restrictions. I mean, yeah. it's, it's always been part of us. Like it's always been a way of like groups differentiating each other. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's yeah, fascinating definitely. how like in most uh, religions you have some for some form of fasting calorie restriction. Yeah, that's another thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so true. There's yeah. a lot of cultural elements that. At least were there in the past. Now I know it's yes. changing a lot. And even uh, yeah. Okinawa, who is the population known for living a long time now, yeah. they are completely changing. They don't have the same diet, uh, so they're not yeah. expecting to see the same numbers in yes. 20, 30 years. Yeah. There. Um, and how did you kind of? When was your discovery of it? My discovery was from um, previous patient of my first company. Yeah. So I think the guy was a lawyer in the US um, and he contacted us because he was doing keto. Yeah. He was looking for a way to measure blood pressure and different things, but he w didn't want to have like the cuff, the wristband, the Fitbit and everything at the same time. So he was looking for one device that would actually measure a bunch of things mm -hmm. that you could use only once a day. That's the kind of thing that we wanted to build at the time. Yeah. So we reached out, we, uh, we, had, we had a quick um, conversation, and then I think I'd, I had heard about low-carb, keto, yeah. fasting before, but that conversation was the trigger, and I started looking into it. Yeah. But before I was looking at like cancer research and everything, yeah. without having, like, I didn't have any link between the two, so I didn't really know that they were connected, or yes, yeah. uh, there was a, a science behind that that was interesting. And then I dived dive into it, started with fasting, did myself, but also looked at the science. I think at the same time, a few papers came out um, following the Nobel Prize of Medicine in 2016. Uh, so it was a hard subject, and I started reading everything on the subject yeah. in like six months. Really yeah. interesting. I actually met Adam fairly quickly after that. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then, so that was kind of the, around the time then that you got your results, your, you know, your results. For pre-diabetes? Pre-diabetes, yeah. I had been diagnosed a year before that, yeah. actually. But okay. I mean, at the yeah. time, I was like everyone else. The consensus is just that. It's probably genetic. Uh, I could oh, cut yeah. sugar, so I cut sugar. I didn't really reduce my carbs, but instead of eating uh, pastries in the morning, I would have like this massive bowl of canola, yogurt, yeah. and fruits. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Which is like, for my profile, it's probably fairly bad. Yeah. So my uh, HbA1c was actually increasing. Yeah. Now, not that yeah. much. I think it was still fairly resistant, but very much yeah, increasing every uh, that's the thing you see with lots of people is that you know uh, they, they think they're eating healthy and they're like yeah. what's going yeah, on like, maybe it's just genetic maybe I'm just built this way um, I mean there is a genetic uh, link to it yeah, obviously yeah, yeah. but um, you, I mean it's, all, it's also about like just knowing what to eat and uh, having the right information there and there's so much wrong information out, yeah. <laughs> out there yeah but I mean, who can blame them with advertising and, you know, showing um, people yeah, really. eating granola and being really happy yeah. and healthy? Um, exactly. Um, yeah. And I think that's what we are facing in some ways. It's a massive um, culture change 
for many countries, and that's yeah. uh, it's quite difficult. But also, it's the right moment because there's like this minority of people who have diabetes who are just interested in their health, who experimented, figured out that this way of life was working for them. So they they made a movement, and now it's growing. Still yes. the minority, but. You can feel the traction. Yeah. <laughs> Literally on Google Trends, if you type keto, yeah. it's going so fast. It is, yeah. 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 Then, uh, to be honest, like on the other side, the vegan movement is also growing pretty fast. Yeah. Yeah. Which is interesting. Hugely. Yeah. We just need to get some keto restaurant outlets and cafes like Vegan House. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. You can have like a small cave side uh, dishes on menus. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we're getting there. Yeah. yeah. It's not too far. In uh, in Lisbon last year, I, we had the Paleo Kitchen. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think Paleo might be a, maybe a bit more known. Yeah, yeah I think so. Know, yeah. yeah. Or more extreme, maybe. Mm. That's why they need their own restaurants. Mm. Actually, that's something I, I kind of forgot about that, but that's something I tried in university. It was Paleo, but mostly oh, yeah. it wasn't so much. Um, for like low sugar or anything like that, it was just more. It just made sense to me. It's like, well, it does make sense. I'll it is kind like, of getting at the same kind of thing. Yeah, you know, like trying to eat natural food. Um, yeah, yeah. Unlike that's, how that's what, I mean, at the end of the day, that's what a, a low carb diet is. It's, yeah, it's natural food. Um, yeah, and actually, if you don't have any like insulin resistance. The best strategy might actually be mm, value. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Long term. But um, yeah, one of the things that's pretty interesting is it seems like for a long time, like for the past 150 years after the food revolution, industrial revolution of food, we've had like all these products come in the market and everything was basically driven by the food industry. Yeah. But now I think that change is happening because people are more conscious. There's a culture change around that. But also we're getting more data from the medical industry, which is growing. Mm. We have like Fitbits, and I'm sure we're going to have like the equivalent of the Fitbit in 15 years, measuring our blood glucose every day. Yeah. And all this data is kind of driving the change in the other way now. So it's almost like the medical industry will make all the decisions about what we eat. So there's a power shift between mm. the food industry and the medical industry. Mm. Yeah, I mean, that... But that also goes into like how accurate is the medical um, exactly. data and yeah. the medical consensus anyway. Like the, I mean, major studies that have shifted, um, like the government recommendations, where like you know the China study and these kind of big studies that uh, are quite flawed, yeah, yeah, scientifically, but they're still like um, branded as medical and scientific advice, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, the, the bias in uh, medical research, research in general, is something very difficult to overcome and probably a very interesting challenge as well. Yeah. But yeah, if... Especially with nutrition, because most yeah. big studies are backed by people with um, with agendas. Yeah. 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 yeah, hugely, yeah. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's why when the, the price of data collection in like every way possible, blood tests and everything at home goes down and the accuracy goes up at the same time, we'll probably hit that threshold where we start to have really, really good data at scale and then the mm. game changes because yeah. nutrition studies cannot be flawed anymore. Yeah, yeah. The kind of collecting 
not all the parameters that could affect yeah, uh, yeah. the outcomes, but most of the important ones, at least the ones that we're discussing today, like cholesterol and yeah. all this stuff. Um, so I think that's that's probably something interesting for the yeah. future. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So what's your diet like today? <laughs> I feel like, like right now this today? is the core of the beast. We talked about all of this. Uh, we've probably all experimented with a bunch of stuff, but today we, we kind of we have one thing yeah. or two. One ex type of experiment we're running. Uh, I probably I'm less I think strict with myself than I was when I began, in that I have um, things like wine, I have dairy. I've nuts and things like that. Yeah. Um, experimenting more with which I went away from is intermittent fasting, actually. So okay. I brought that back in and actually um, rediscovering how much I love it. And it's funny yeah. how you, yeah. I kind of forgot about it. I stopped because I was going on holidays. And then, um, yeah, it's just yeah. It really um, enriches your life. And I, yeah, yeah, it's been great to like, take that on again yeah I definitely um, do that I mean I probably do uh, intermittent fasting I, I've I'm at a place now where I'm comfortable doing intermittent fasting every day yeah um, and I also probably do uh, low carb not ketogenic that's, yeah that's probably what I do yeah yeah um, yeah um, I, I, I've, I've, I've stopped having the craving though for like um, sweet things yeah um, chocolate and crisps mm, and all these things. I, I used yeah. to struggle with that. I used to love like um, yeah, yeah, having snacks, sweet snacks, and whatever. But I don't have that anymore. Same here. Yeah. yeah. I'm actually impressed. Like how many calories I was consuming yeah. were completely useless. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No so, yeah. It's I remember finding it so surprising where you like you no longer crave sweet things, but you actually crave. Um, like real things like broccoli and like yeah. all these like real foods and it's obviously just your body saying yeah. like I need this give it to you know yeah um, it's also like the complexity of taste and I think you're yeah that's one of the things that I found very interesting a lot of people say oh yeah I can never stop eating that because I love that so much maybe that's sugar true. maybe yeah. and actually your palate will probably change yeah. in two weeks yeah. 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 yeah literally like in two weeks you forget you needed that Yeah. you start enjoying something more something I, else, I yeah. would have never thought I would be able to function without breakfast like yeah. breakfast was my most important yeah. thing my most important meal of the day uh, and I, I would be like I would have five meals a day like I, I would have like five moderate to small mm. meals a day that was my diet yeah. now I have probably two main meals a day uh, lunch and then dinner when I get home mm. that's it um, and I don't really snack um, but yeah uh, but yeah, yeah it's changed now I, yeah. I feel focused in the morning I don't yeah. need to, I don't even drink coffee or, I drink tea like at lunch but before yeah. in the morning I don't even drink anything I just go to yeah. work and I probably have my first meal at one or two o'clock were you training also before? Uh, what do you mean? Like uh, lifting weights? And yeah. Stuff? yeah. So did you see change before and after? Like uh... Sometimes I go... Uh, no, I didn't actually. Um, so sometimes I go to the gym um, after like a 16-hour fast. Yeah. And I, I actually don't feel any difference. Huh. Yeah. yeah, that's pretty um, good. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe it's just psychological. But mm. I, I don't. <laughs> yeah, no, I think uh, that's probably that 
you're in a state where you can use fat efficiently mm-hmm. at the time. Yeah. I know I wasn't in that situation. So when I first started intermittent fasting, uh, I was playing tennis every like every week, twice mm-hmm. uh, twice a week. And the first uh, week, um, I felt really, really weak in yeah. less than 30 minutes. It was really hard to, to, to keep on, on playing. And after um, a week and a half, maybe two weeks, I felt amazing. It was the complete opposite. Yeah. Yeah, at, first, feeling, at first, I did feel it. No, yeah. That's right. yeah, especially with cardio. Like with lifting weights, I would probably also struggle with lifting like, the same weights as I did. Oh, yeah. But yeah, running, I would yeah definitely... Um, it, it was a bit harder yeah. at first. There's definitely that mm. adaptation phase. Huh? Yeah, there is. Yeah. So you you're also doing so you're doing intermittent fasting now, mm-hmm. but also you started a ketogenic diet a while ago. Yeah, yeah. And did you feel that transition at the beginning? The yeah, I did. Although. Um, although I wasn't before I changed, I wasn't. I didn't have a great appetite anyway because I was like anxiety and things yeah. like that. So I wasn't wanting to eat. So actually, I kind of. I think I was probably in a state of ketosis <laughs> before yeah. this anyway because I wasn't really eating. And so, but equally, when I did start the ketogenic diet, I did have that um, transition of like awful headache just feeling really tired yeah um it didn't last too long luckily um i didn't prepare myself as well which was a bad idea so i didn't hydrate or you know take electrolytes which i would definitely do if uh, i was to do that again um but it was very temporary and then very quickly i could see how well i felt on it and that was the driving point for me. I started off initially saying, I'll do this for a month, yeah. see how I feel. But, you know, straight away I was like, no, I want to continue this. Yeah. So it was an easy decision. Yeah. So easy on the personalized, uh, personal point of view. But then how did your doctor, nutritionist, anyone, any medical professional that knew your situation reacted? Yeah, I was... Um, I uh, was not the best in, in, they knew I was, what I was doing and they kind of said, okay, go ahead, but we'll keep a, a kind of a close eye on you. If there's any time that we feel, you know, you should be doing this, we will say. Um, but I think they could see that I was doing so well, but it, they weren't in the position to say, keep doing it because that would yeah. go against what they're supposed to tell people is, you know, eat lots of calories and eat whenever you're you know, hungry yeah. and don't fast. Fasting was a big thing, which I tried during my treatment. And um, some of the nurses really were not impressed by it. Yeah. Um, but... Um, uh, but they it, also probably didn't hear about fasting and keto. No, I don't. Yeah. yeah, I don't mm. think so. But um, they, you know, thought it was really counterintuitive, which I understand where they're coming from because a lot of patients are losing a lot of weight and um, yeah. you know they need calories. Yeah. So for them, it's so important to 
get as many calories in as possible if it's cake you know sugar whatever it is and so to say that as fasting is you know they yeah. just think it's really silly that you should eat whenever you, you yeah. can but um I think I you know I think I proved it worked really well in the end so yeah. that's amazing um, yeah one of my customers my first customer of my previous company um, literally paid online 150 pounds to get access to our beta device. Yeah. He was a British guy, um, quite wealthy. I don't know where from, uh, probably investments. Um, and he had, when he contacted us, he had, um, he was in remission of cancer, mm -hmm. um, prostate for five years. And he told us uh, his story. So basically, he was diagnosed and was told that he had um, seven or eight months to live. Yeah. He had a lot of money, so he went to find the best yeah. doctors on Holly Street, uh, nutritionist, sports coach, and he did everything. But they actually did it in a pretty scientific way. So he was doing biopsies uh, to kind of measure the size of the tumor, the activity, mm. and everything very frequently. Yeah. And um, his main thing was eating paleo and losing a lot of weight by just uh, being very mm. active physically. Yeah. Walking every day, at least uh, running a couple of times a week, and also like some high-intensity uh, exercise. Yeah. And he start, actually started um, something called the London Sports Clinic, I think, uh, on Harley Street. He's like yeah. working with... Uh, it's like halfway between a gym and a yeah. practice, basically, and trying to help more patients do that. Yeah. So yeah, I found it uh, fascinating, and it was. I, I mean, at the time, I didn't know about keto and all mm. the implications and why maybe there was like a scientific explanation or. Yeah. But yeah, that definitely that's one of the things that led me to explore. Yeah. 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 How about you, Adam? What do you feel? Um, is obviously you're a doctor, so it's different. But yeah. do you feel your GP, if he knows you're doing a ketogenic diet, is well, I'm, open probably, to I'm probably a really bad patient, so <laughs> um, I don't really engage with uh, my GP. <laughs> yeah, I probably uh, only see my GP once, um, just to ask him for a prescription. <laughs> if you're young and healthy, that's probably <laughs> yeah. yeah. But that's yeah. the case with most people. But I do deal with a lot of doctors okay. on day to day, and. Um, yeah, most doctors seriously don't um, consider nutrition as something that is important yeah. uh, when treating disease. Um, so, but uh, there's a caveat there because this is when we're when we're talking like most diseases that I deal with in the hospital are uh, serious illnesses that um, yeah can, cannot be reversed by nutrition. Yeah, uh, nutrition is more um, for a long term kind of. Um, management of diseases and um, for that we always have this caveat where we say uh, in medicine like uh, the first line of um, of treatment should be lifestyle modifications and, and nutrition and then we go to um, mm. uh, yeah. prescribing medications and stuff like that yeah. uh, but it's kind of this thing where we pay lip service to it where we don't really yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, 
actually like focus on it that much. So people say like, so if you go to your GP and say you have this problem, he might say, yeah, you need to do this and that, or give you like some vague advice uh, on the lifestyle modification, or put you in some kind of um, in contact with some kind of uh, education program. But um, and then you go and then you come back and if it hasn't worked, they just move on to pills yeah. and medications. So they yeah. don't really uh, personalize it. They don't really take it that seriously. And I think that's changing. Yeah. from a consumer perspective or from a patient yeah. perspective patients are demanding that uh, no I really want to you know uh, yeah. solve this with nutrition with lifestyle uh, changes yeah. first before I go on to the next stage yeah we actually have a, a number of patients that come to us from this point of view they say yeah. I've not been put on medication but I've been told um, yeah. I need to change my lifestyle yeah. this is the like yeah. roughly the advice yeah. I was given but um, I need help this yeah and I think, though, as well, a lot of people know that, you know, they need to kind of change something in their lifestyle. Yeah. But it's just finding that support and how you do it. Um, you, you, you know, or maybe they as well just need kind of that reminder from a doctor saying, yeah, okay, you need to change this and that. But, like, in navigating through everything that's out there, it's going to be so difficult for anyone to take action with it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think there's really two parts to what we're doing. There's the education part where we, yeah, it's like really structured education. So step by step, we kind of uh, teach you what you should know as a patient. So it doesn't go like as far as what the doctor would know about the subject, but mm. you know enough so you can actually control it and yeah. understand also why you're doing like this strategy or this one. Yeah, instead, and the other part is really just creating accountability, having a coach, doctor, nutritionist, someone you can talk to, mm-hmm. even if you don't have like fixed goals and everything, but you can just talk to that person. You know that you you've kind of agreed that you're going to be in remission after a year, so you want to do good, and yeah. that's forcing you to actually do good and follow your your program. Yeah, just having that. Yeah, cool. Um, I think more generic question maybe. Uh, what do you feel you um, you what you wish you had known when you started? When you started, either when you were younger or in the in the medical field. Oh, it's like started the started the ketogenic diet or started yeah. your yeah. Ooh. Uh, I wish I'd known. I wish I knew it like years ago. <laughs> yeah. How good it was gonna be, in the sense of I guess I reflecting on like years past I now understand what it feels like to be healthy whereas I did I thought I was healthy but I now know I wasn't yeah I know what it feels like um to as we were saying earlier have a normal cold and not have a cold that just um takes weeks to get over and um that you can you have the power to change that change you know improve your immunity to yeah. um that's yeah. very interesting i mean to me i don't know if you felt the same like do you feel like you get less colds the flu i do but um i also work in a hospital so I, I mean, uh, <laughs> it's, it's a good like, exercise <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to stay away from yeah. every strain of yeah. flu there is uh, but I, I actually have to say um like 
for the last two years, yeah, I've definitely gotten less yeah. sick. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's actually interesting because if you can prove that, it's a pretty good strategy for doctors. Mm. You, want, you yeah. want them to be like very resistant to... <laughs> yeah. All that stuff. Yeah. 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 Could be a program specific yeah. for doctors. <laughs> yeah, I just exactly. did a, pro- a program in um, in a research in the US on uh, the military, mm-hmm. and they wanted to basically keep uh, soldiers that are not on service um, mm. healthy and fit. Mm. And um, they basically tried a bunch of interventions, and it turns out that the keto version was the, really? the more efficient. Yeah. Mm. So yeah, really they kept it. training and everything. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Well, trying it myself is what made me really believe that uh, yeah, there's, there's something there. And I'm usually skeptical when it comes to these kind of things, but um, it was probably um, trying it myself. And like, I love food and I love eating, and I haven't lost that. And I, uh, yeah. you can still love food and you can still eat um, as much as you want, or like until you're full. Um, yeah, and uh, be healthy. Like, yeah, they're not two antonyms, and that's I think um, what most people don't get. That's probably the yeah. thing that I would that I would have liked to known or to have known earlier. It's like um, you can still like food and you can still eat good food. Same, yeah, and be healthy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you said, to me it was a lot of people food. always oh, say like, um, why is everything that is good for you? Or that, is, that tastes so good, bad yeah. for you, right? I yeah. know, it's, it's actually not, not true. true. It's yeah. not true. <laughs> yeah. It's actually the opposite. Yeah. In a sense, now yeah. looking back. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because you feel like what you've... It's also like if you've been eating the same stuff since you were a kid, basically. Yeah. You're yeah. used to that stuff and you don't think you can change that in two weeks. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that flexibility of, you know, discovering new tastes and enjoying that. Yeah. That's quite interesting. I feel like a lot of um, a lot of our patients that are high intent, so they want to change very quickly. They get into that spirit of saying, "I know, like I trust these guys. I can see the nice recipes. It looks like comfort food, mm. so um, I'm gonna try it." And I'm yeah. gonna like they they seem to love food as well. So yeah, that's the thing. Yeah. I can do it. Doesn't have to be bad food. Like, yeah. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Exactly, yeah. I think that's the one thing that maybe was definitely driven by the food industry in the last uh, 30 years. Yeah, absolutely. McDonald's and everyone, like, and even them, they're having, like, quite a lot of problems. Like, you know, guys, you guys know uh, Gigi Hadid? Yeah. The model? She posted the picture at Coachella uh, last week uh, with a McDonald's uh, thing. She was promoting something. She got so many back press wow. on, on Instagram. Yeah, like yeah. Actually, people commenting and saying, why do you promote this brand? Mm. Well, I mean, come to think of it, I went to McDonald's probably a few weeks ago and I devised my own McDonald's ketogenic, keto-friendly <laughs> <Really>? meal. <laughs> wow. meal. I don't know if it was keto, but it was definitely low-carb. It was like a... Um, a big tasty with no buns. Yeah. Right? Which, can you do that at McDonald's? Yeah, you can ask to, wow. without the buns, right? Uh, obviously, no fries or Coke. But I had uh, uh, as well a side of a, uh, I think it was a Caesar salad with no dressing. Yeah. Okay, wow. so you got And, and with, uh, with extra bacon. So uh, oh, it actually yeah. worked out. Yeah, there was loads of meat and bacon there, a bit of salad, and uh, I think it worked. Yeah. yeah. Nice. <laughs> 
So that's, that's your cheat meal, <laughs> you know, after a <laughs> yeah, 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 you want your exactly. fix of McDonald's. Uh, you just do that. And, uh, yeah. and also maybe cheap, because I know yeah. that's a point that comes uh, comes back often with the patients. Mm. Like, I feel I can, I can do this in terms of the food and everything, but it sounds very expensive. Yeah. But in the end, there's mm. always a lot of ways to make it cheap yeah. again. Um, Absolutely, yeah. You find, I mean, you're not going to be overeating as much as well. So, yeah. And if you incorporate intermittent fasting, and you're going to be saving lots of money. Definitely, that's something um, I love about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. It's, sati- it's satiating to the point where you don't really eat that much. Yeah. I think, uh, but you don't feel like you're not eating that much. If you eat like a, a carb-rich uh, meal. If two hours, three hours later, you're hungry again. But if you eat like a steak, that's it. That's your fix for like six yeah, hours. You're, you're yeah. good. <laughs> you don't really feel the need to eat more. Yeah. Yeah. What are you curious about right now um, in this field? Like one thing that you've heard about that goes further into longevity, keto, that you're curious about and you're interested in oh. learning about? So I, I'm, well, personally, I mean, I'm all for strategies and lifestyle uh, strategies that increase your you know, health span and lifespan. Uh, but we will reach a point sometime some where we, we know all the strategies and we, we're going to hit um, a point where you know, uh, yeah. it, it no longer helps. Um, so I'm interested in what goes beyond that. I'm interested in actual like, pharmacological interventions that will uh, increase uh, our lifespan and increase it and, you know, um, activate longevity pathways in a actual pharmacological way. That's an area that interests me. And there's loads of research going into it at the moment. Yeah. It's still a niche. But I mean, I think this will change medicine yeah. in the next 20 years. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see that, uh, that transition. And also, um, yeah, I was like, I keep thinking about it. Maybe the, like for us, um, in a couple of years, let's say, uh, Span is successful, helping a lot of people uh, doing lifestyle modification for different diseases. Um, the one thing that might disrupt that is if we come up with a drug that actually mm. is re-engineering your body in some way, basically. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not injury. against that. Yeah. I'm yeah. not against that. It is, there's loads of caveats to that. You can't, it has to be proven safe and whatever. Yeah. But um, I, mean, I think that's the next step. Yeah. Going mm. Yeah, um, I'm actually kind of I'm interested actually to see. So we know how um, well we are with keto diet and the studies that have gone on to show its remarkable results in different diseases and areas. Um, but I guess the question is of like, is it how sustainable is it going to be for lifelong? And this is a question that yeah. I often ask myself as I really love this I love how I feel but I do wonder long term is this something that I can sustain I yeah. you know not sustain personally because I feel I can but is I don't know yeah, yeah, yeah who knows of the yeah I think that makes complete sense and and uh, a lot of people uh, doctors like Peter Atia have different strategies and yeah. advise different things but they seem to always go back to the idea of cycling carbs Yes, yeah, yeah. But always, like, obviously, quality, complex carbs. Yeah. Uh, not processed bread or things like that. Yeah. And um, 
So that doesn't mean it's the right way. There is this idea of hormesis, which is gaining um, gaining from. So hormesis means like uh, gaining strength from small small um, uh, small harmful so small doses of harmful substances that yeah. are mm. um, yeah oh, yeah. Are like, yeah separated in time. So like it may be good for you to go off a good diet yeah. for like short periods yeah. Yeah. every few months for example <clears throat> just as it's good for you to fast yeah. uh, for for short periods like go for yeah. uh, like a, yeah. you know, a three day fast or something like that every mm. few months it's, it might be the, the inverse might be um, true true yeah yeah I often think about people who um, who smoke obviously as a like in France a lot of people smoke and um a lot of them are actually very skinny, and they, I, I can see that with my friends and my brother as well. They, they tend to fast most of the day, mm. so they, they don't have meals or they have like a very light thing. They don't, yeah. obviously, they eat yeah. bad food in general. Um, um, dessert is sweet things as well because their cigarette is almost a substitute yeah. for that, yeah. Mm. But they seem like, at least when they're young, they seem to be pretty healthy. So they don't yeah. have all these like colds and food mm. and So mm. I'm thinking maybe they actually like cigarettes is kind of a way to cut hunger. And so yeah. your well, being you're so thinking of something that's probably worse yeah. <laughs> than a bad so diet. Maybe you're mitigating the effects yeah. of the cigarette yeah. because yeah. you're in ketosis. Yeah. No, what I meant like, really is something like, yeah. so there's a study that shows that radiologists are um, less prone to developing cancer, although oh, yeah. they get they get more exposure to radiation. So maybe that's uh, ah. your body kind of adapting to radiation, so you yeah. get less. Ah, and so it's, yeah. yeah, it's more protected against like background radiation that we all get. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 Which yeah. Is obviously, it's also so maybe smoking once a month. Is <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's the the, the optimum kind of uh, yeah. strategy. <laughs> and the reason why people think uh, cycling calves might be the yeah. the thing that works. There's also this idea that uh, you're promoting um, IGF one and growth uh, mm. when you're in that stage consuming glucose. Yeah, and you're more recycling. Senescent mm. cells and things like that when you're on ketosis, and where is the right balance? Um, and there's obviously a lot of we know like the I think the pathways at the surface and the ones that we need to learn for cancer from mm. like uh, pharmaceutical interventions. But there's probably a lot of pathways that we haven't explored mm. that are yeah could be good or bad yeah. on both sides. Yeah. So maybe actually being ketosis all the time. We lose some of the benefits of promoting yeah. IGF-1, yeah. and yeah, could yeah. Be. or it could be that just raising insulin when you eat gets us in that it's state for a yeah. short, short period of time, and then we cycle again. Exactly. Yeah, it's just that short period of you know stress and those kind of things, which are actually yeah. can be helpful. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think. Um, there's a few things like that I'm expecting, and then probably one thing that I'm curious about. Um, so I'd like to see some research on 
cholesterol, mm. but like um, ApoB um, particle, LDLP particles, mm. and all of that to like first shine some light on the pathways, and then probably when we have a better idea of like where this there could be a, a causal re relationship, actually do a randomized control trial. Yeah, I mean, there are loads of trials that go. It's around. moving, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a big topic now. Um, yeah, it'll definitely be clearer soon. In a couple of years, uh, yeah. yeah. And then I mm. think um, so I think the one thing that I'm really curious about is something a bit different. It's gut health, mm. obviously. Mm. Um, yeah. And I'm curious if it's a trend or if there's actually something there that. So it's it's definitely interesting to research and to understand, but in terms of actually using that in your lifestyle modification, how much can you actually affect uh, your gut health? Yeah, I don't know. Um, it's, uh, there's a lot of people who say like 80% is actually of the bacteria is actually fixed. Yeah. So even if you're drinking kombucha and having cheese and so on, yeah. there's only so much you can change. Yeah, it um, doesn't. To me, it doesn't feel like something that is like super important but um, I haven't really done my homework so I can't really say but it is interesting mm. yeah it's definitely uh, one of the um, the fields where we need data yeah and the current way of like collecting and doing the tests is almost as uh, annoying as a blood test, so you have to go somewhere, or you have to collect a sample, you have to send yeah. it, you have to get the results. It's not even, I don't even know if there's anywhere, because I think they send the samples to America, presently. Might be, yeah. Um, I know one company advertising on Facebook called Atlas. Okay, are they UK? Um, they're based in the UK, and they send you your test here, but yeah. they might actually send it to a lab in yeah. the US, I don't know. Yeah, and it takes weeks and weeks. I did one with Tim Spector. Oh yeah. And that was good. But it would be interesting to see um now if my you know, the changes of the microbiome and Yeah, that's the one thing that uh, Yeah. It's, it seems crazy to me that we still don't have a way today to do the same thing with your blood tests. Mm hmm I, I wouldn't want to do like uh to go to the lab and get uh, a vial of blood every day or every month just to get that trend. But it seems crazy to me that we have the technology, um, but it, it seems really, really difficult to bring into market. What? Uh, like blood like efficient blood tests at home in some ways. At least for yeah. things that yeah. we all care about, um, glucose, HbA1c, uh, cholesterol, things like that. Vitamin D would be interesting for me, I guess. Mm. I'd be curious to actually experiment with different things. I know I've tried. So we have Verta here. Uh, no, uh, Thriver. So I did the blood test yeah. first with them uh, two years ago, and then I started doing it every three months. For and I stopped probably six months ago. Yeah. And I find it very interesting to see the change. To be able to. Um, so my vitamin D level was really low. I tried vitamins. Didn't work at all. And then yeah. I forced myself to actually spend some time outside ten minutes yeah. a day for six months, and I saw the difference. Oh. Uh, yeah. And it was still winter, so I think uh -huh. even during the winter, that's something I should do more yeah. at the office. Just go out for ten minutes, yeah. spend some time outside, and it's and then maybe the vitamins could have had an effect with the exposure to yeah, yeah. real mm. UV light and 
it's a different thing. And then also, obviously, there's a lot of brands of vitamins. Yeah. And maybe yeah. none of them are efficient or yeah. have the same, like, con uh, conserve the, the right amount of um, the agent in the box. So sometimes you buy them from Amazon and they've been sitting in the shelves for Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I often have the same query about probiotics. In yeah. that I wonder, are they actually just yeah. dying in my, you know, stomach acid? Are they actually still alive um, when they're in the capsule? And, yes. And if they're actually effective, but even if they're not, I feel they have a placebo effect. So yeah. <laughs> I'll spend some money on them. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's fascinating as well. In France, we had a brand of yogurt uh, that started 15 years ago. So pretty early for this trend yeah. um, from Danone and it was like a green one yeah. uh, it's here now it's Activia Activia yeah. oh yeah it was called Bio it's yeah. yeah and it was like this the first form of yeah. probiotics and I think seven or eight years after the launch um, some researchers actually started looking at what's actually in the yogurt when you buy it yeah. um, in the supermarket it was completely inactive oh yeah, yeah by the time it yeah. got there yeah um, so many of them are. Um, um, I only discovered this a few years ago when Dad was making yogurt at home, and he was buying these different yogurts, and like none of them worked except for one oh, to wow. make new yogurt. So that just uh, shows that yeah. they were all dead, despite them saying live yogurt yeah. on the um, packaging. Um, so yeah, the only real way to know is just make some yogurt yourself and you'll see if it's <laughs> if it's live or not. Yeah, in some ways. Yeah. It's um, like for the regulations in the food industry, it's quite difficult to to test this kind of things mm. because it costs so much money to take a sample of an apple, yeah. send it to a lab and do the test and everything. Yeah. It's yeah. also one of the fields where they're trying to they're trying to build a spectrometers whether mm. you shine lights on the objects you kind of measure the chemical mm. components and there's this company in israel that uh, came up with a portable version which is literally like a stick like this you just point it at uh, the apple and it gives you a oh, really? fairly accurate um, sample no way. compared to like Why? what you do in the lab mm. it's not the perfect way but it's kind of the first yeah. step to make the technology better and um, so essentially just miniature version of the mm. same big equipment that they use in the lab and uh, the same technology the guy who was heading the apple division working on blood tests mm. blood measurements i don't know if it was the apple watch or anything specialized in spectrometry uh, spectrometry as well um developed a blood test device a little bit like theranos but actually uh, mm. a version that actually works and only does one thing not a hundred yeah. things in a box that costs almost millions of dollars. Um, and they brought it to market. I think they're probably launching, like they, they launched three years ago on Indiegogo, but now I think the product is actually going out. Yeah, my, my only contention with that as a clinician is um, like blood tests are supposed to guide your um, the clinical picture. So yeah. uh, the problem with uh, with blood tests, consumer blood tests, is that you have loads of noise and people don't understand, or most people don't know how to deal with noise. Yeah. Um, so they see a positive or below, above a certain range, 
and you know they fixate on that. They, yeah. you know, so it'll mm. it'll just lead to more people being anxious, more more people uh, presenting to healthcare services with false positives. Yeah. That's where I think the problem is. Like, um, so that's why I'm not really a huge advocate of like a routine blood tests to be done yeah. like routinely with people at home. I think it'll just increase the noise. Like uh, in practice, you always um, you never want to order a test unless you're you know you're expecting a result or you want to. Uh, you don't screen for things yeah. um, unless you have something in mind. Yeah, you don't just do like a bunch of blood tests and throw a fish net and see what you can catch. Mm, yeah, yeah, it's kind of finding that happy medium because anyone who is going to go and um, you know monitor their health to that degree are probably going to be anxious about their health and yeah. you know that's yeah, like googling your symptoms. You always yeah. The worst, yeah. Exactly, but then if it if it means that you are monitoring and you can see all these changes, then that's yeah. It depends on the biomarker, obviously. Yeah, yeah, I think that's an important uh, factor. So if you yeah. can do blood tests at home, but it's so there's so much hassle in the process that you can only do one yes, a month, then yeah. it's probably going to be a problem. Yeah. If you can see the trend, you're less um, likely to be fixated on the absolute value mm. and think about oh that's out of range or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. If you can see the trend. You don't even have to go to the doctors. You yeah. kind of you cannot know. Your doctor yeah. told you before your cholesterol is high, it's still going up. So yeah. You probably can do something else. Yeah, and it absolutely depends on. Uh, but it should be the biomarker, so like glucose, cholesterol, these kind of things are kind of well understood yeah. by people. Yeah. yeah. I think that's one of the things where the the regulatory bodies should make um, should bring clarity. So it's like consumer devices good helps the consumer. But maybe we should make clinical decisions or like bring that data back to the clinician mm. now until we can actually say, oh, that device is so accurate that we use the same in a GP practice. Yeah. Mm. So, and for now, we haven't reached that level. But it's interesting to me that this device is literally, you have this cartridge, you press it on your arm, put it back in the device, you go away, and the device is connected to your Wi-Fi, does a bunch of things, and then gives you the... Gosh, this is amazing. Thing, yeah. They do glucose, uh, cholesterol, LDL, and um, uh, HDL. I think they're trying to do a bunch of things. They they advertise a lot of things on the Indiegogo campaign. Mm. <laughs> they haven't. They they were supposed to ship one year after. They have five hundred backers. They've not shipped, and it's been three years. Mm. So it's also very difficult to bring to market. And uh, yeah, I think. Yeah, obviously the FDA has been more responsive and willing to help people just bring more data. Cool. I think that's uh, pretty much it. Is there any questions that you have for me or that I should have asked to you guys? <laughs> no. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. Well, um, thanks for doing this I guess <laughs> and um, yeah we'll catch you on the next uh, episode probably a patient story yeah. if we can get someone on the podcast that'd be nice thanks Ian. <laughs> <laughs>